ignition sequence start. Six, five, four, three, two, one, zero. Welcome to Ignition, a radio show and podcast for the new evangelization. I'm your host, Dr. Chris Bergwald, and we want to set your faith ablaze so that you might live the adventure that comes from a relationship with Jesus Christ. Before we get into today's topic, we want you to know that we love listener feedback, so if you've got questions about today's episode, or if you have ideas for future episodes, please contact us. The easiest way to do that is by email, and the email address is ignition at sfcatholic.org. Again, ignition at sf, as in Sioux Falls, sfcatholic.org. Um, I'm joined in studio today by Dr. Jason Heron. Hi, Jason. Hi. Uh, Jason and I are today going to be talking about, it's actually going to be the first part of a two-part um, series, just a two-part series uh, that we're going to do on the Catholic social teaching, what it is, uh, maybe a little bit what it isn't, um, and some of its principles. And then in a future episode, we'll talk more about um, sort of why it matters to us today, particularly as 21st century Americans. So Catholic social teaching, what it is, what it isn't, and its key principles. If you've never listened to Ignition, my name again is Chris Bergwald. I'm the director of adult discipleship and evangelization with the Diocese of Sioux Falls in Eastern South Dakota. I've uh, been in that role since 2002 with the diocese. More importantly, I've uh, been in the role of husband to Jermaine since 1999, and we have five kids. Jermaine's from Ohio. I'm from central Minnesota. Um, our five kids are all born and raised in eastern sunny Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Jason, would you mind introducing yourself a little bit to our listeners? Yeah, I'm Jason Heron. I teach at <clears throat> Mount Marty College in the theology and philosophy department. And uh, I'm married to Hannah. We're married 17 years. We've got six kids, but they were all born in different places. All, all of them? Almost six different. No, not not quite almost six okay. different places, but like four different places. Okay. Uh, we've moved around a lot. And now we're here in uh, in South Dakota and, and loving every minute of it. Loving every minute of it. Right. Um, back home, kind of, right? You're, you yeah, spent some I time went in to high Falls. School. Yeah. I went to high school at Roosevelt. Okay. Uh, Which I wasn't here Falls. long enough to really feel... Where like were you South before Dakota that? Remind me. Before South Dakota? Before, yeah. Arizona. Really? Yeah. Okay, I don't think I knew that. Yeah, I've lived in Arizona and Oregon and Maine and Kentucky and Indiana, Ohio. All over the place. Yeah. So anyway, that's that's for another story. Sure. sure. <laughs> so um, we had uh, I had you on last fall. We did a great series, well-received series on the... Um, Four cardinal virtues, mm-hmm. prudence, justice, temperance, fortitude, um, because you're a moral theologian by training, but but your particular discipline actually is, um, you're not an expert on the virtues, uh, you're an expert on Catholic social teaching, so I thought, oh, I want to have you back to talk about that, and and we are going to, we're looking forward to part two, where we talk about um, what it matters to us, but you can't really talk about what it matters until you know what the it sure. is. Sure. So, so before we actually get into what it is, I would like to, maybe you could explain why was this a topic that you were interested in so much that you ended up writing a doctoral dissertation, uh, theological dissertation on? Yeah, uh, that's a good question. Uh, well, I'm, I'm interested in humans. So, uh, that's that's the source of my desire to be a moral theologian. I just think humans are fascinating. I love stories about humans. Uh, I love literature. So uh, it was a natural fit. I, my background's in literature, and I switched over to theology, and it was a natural transition for me at least to 
to pursue moral theology. And uh, out of that love for humans and stories about humans and the drama of being a human, I just think it's so fascinating. And Catholic social teaching is like a particular area within moral theology. There's sure, maybe yep. one thing, one way to think about it. Um, and it's like thinking about humans uh, in a broader, broader context, instead of just the individual human life, the, okay. the social relations of the human person. And so there was um, unique challenges and, and opportunities there to expand my interest in the moral life of humans to a broader context that seemed uh, particularly relevant in our current situation. Gotcha. Uh, so literature, um, you, you love stories, favorite book and or favorite oh, movie. Not the, not the, not the, I know that's unfair to yeah, like it's a, super unfair. That's uh, the hardest so question a, you'll a, ask me. I, <laughs> a favorite book a or favorite, favorite movie. Uh, a favorite book. I really love uh, Gabriel Garcia Marquez's um, hundred years of solitude off the top of my head. That's a great book. hundred years of solitude. I've also just, um, finished the border trilogy of Cormac McCarthy, all the pretty oh. horses, uh, the crossing and cities of the plain. I checked all the pretty horses out from the library in December. <laughs> I read two pages. I, my attention span is, oh <laughs> man, that's another story. Cormac McCarthy is a real master. So I'm kind of obsessed with him. So right listeners, if you've ever seen, um, no country for old men, yeah. that's yeah. based on, um, a Cormac McCarthy. And he's not an author that I'd really ever heard of. And until I finally watched no country for old men a year or two ago, I mean, oh my that's gosh. one of my favorite movies. That's yeah. yeah. So, so, okay. okay. All right. So not, enough about that. Catholic social teaching. What right. is it? What, maybe what isn't it? Whichever way you want to go. Sometimes it's easier to explain what it is by saying what it isn't first. And then the, the key principles. Uh, yeah. What it's not. Uh, it's not like a political platform okay. for the church. Yep. It's not a set of uh, concrete or specific like policy Public directives. Policy, right, right, right. It's not that. So like like uh, progressive tax, regressive tax, uh, income tax, sure. rat tax rate, none sure. of that. So sometimes um, in conversations about Catholic social teaching, you hear the criticism that the the popes are mm. dabbling in areas that they have no expertise oh, yeah. in because the church, um, the church's infallibility at least uh, applies to matters of faith and morals. Right, and then you hear like Pope Benedict talk about the global economy, or Francis right. talk about poverty and the environment, and you think, well, why should we listen to a pope, right, pontificate about <laughs> uh, these matters? Shouldn't we listen to people who, whose expertise is in these areas of human life? And um, this would be a, a fair criticism if the popes were recommending like concrete policies, policy. Right. right. But they're not. Carbon, they are carbon footprint, like carbon, whatever the things with. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Like, regulations. If they had regulations, I, there you go. ideas on regulations, then we wouldn't need to listen to them. Uh, but they're not. I mean, despite some people's criticisms, the popes are not morons. Right. They're, they don't think that they are offering that, and they know that they shouldn't offer that. Right. They're rather um, reflecting on the nature of the human person and the uh, vocation of Christians in the world and following the, the implications of those things, the nature of the human person and the vocation of the Christian 
into the social and political and economic realms. Those our our convictions as Christians have concrete ramifications in society, in politics, in economics. The faith is not separate from those, and so the popes uh, speak at the level of principle or the level of guidelines, um, exhortation, reminder, often uh, to to address social, political, and economic issues in light of our belief that God became a human. So it's called Catholic social teaching because it's about, um, this is me connecting a couple dots, so correct me if I'm wrong here. Um, it's about humans, men and women living together. We're, 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 we're social animals. We're made to be in communion first and foremost with God, but also with one another. Um, so therefore our faith, if that's true, our faith, faith is going to have something to say about what it means to be in relationship with one another, not just as husband and wife or brother and sister or parent and child, but more broadly in, in a societal context. And that's where this teaching comes in, right? Right. We, we have broad and complex networks of connection to other people. We completely depend not only biologically on our families or emotionally and financially on our spouses, whatever, but also just in, in very plain and often hidden ways, I guess it's weird to say plain and hidden (laughs) plain. I mean like mundane, mundane, yes, uh, mundane and hidden ways. We just depend on everybody else. Sure. For everything, education, food supply, yep. Clean water. I mean, so the, the, the fact that we are, um, so intimately and intricately related to other people is a real founding or foundational aspect of Catholic social teaching. Because some of the, the, the principles or the realities of what it means to be human that have been revealed to us by God, um, apply or are relevant to those, all those mundane yet hidden relationships. Right. Right. Okay. He did not come uh, he did not become a man to save just uh, individuals. Right. He became a man in order to form a community of disciples and in order to, you know, uh, draw all persons to himself. In, in communion. In I, I think that's a, I mean, this gets a little bit into ecclesiology, the theology of the church. Um, God does desire a personal relationship right. with us, but not an exclusive or private one. Yeah. So sometimes I, I just use those two words. Salvation is personal, but it's not like individualistic or it's not individual. <clears throat> right. Right. It's just deeply personal, but any person who reflects on their own life recognizes how social their personhood is right exactly so okay. Okay. if you're just tuning in you're listening to ignition this is a broadcast for the new evangelization i'm your host dr chris bergwald talking today with dr jason heron who teaches at mount marty college in yankton south dakota about catholic social teaching so we're just talking about um what it, what it isn't in terms of specific policy proposals or regulations i think was the word we kind of landed on that speaks well to what it's not and then we're just kind of getting into what it is a little bit but um i know that that there are you you mentioned as we're talking about this topic some key principles that describe it so maybe 
maybe maybe in the time we have left uh, in this episode, we should focus on what those principles are and unpack them. Sure. So the the part of the confusion when speaking about Catholic social teaching is sometimes you hear that there are like seven themes. Like if you go on the USCCB website, yep. there are seven themes yep. of Catholic social teaching. Yep. And those are great. Wonderful. I've got no beef, I'm, but I'm focused on the the core or the fundamental foundation okay. of Catholic social teaching, which is usually uh, spoken of in terms of four principles, the dignity of the human person, the primacy of the common good, uh, solidarity and subsidiarity. So these are four yeah, foundational principles of, of the teaching. Um, is that, uh, says who? <laughs> <laughs> says who? Yeah. So Catholic social teaching is a developing tradition, right? In, in modern Catholic life, the gospel has always had social implications. Uh, if we don't understand, understand that we fail to understand scripture. There's always social implications to the gospel. So in a way, social teaching has always been a part of right. what it means to be a Christian. But in the modern context, starting in the 19th century, as the as the European nation states were starting to take shape in the way that we recognize them now, the church began to speak more formally and more explicitly about social, economic, and political issues. And as the church did that, usually through the, the genre of the encyclical letter, mm-hmm from a Pope, but not always, which is I mean, a high level of church teaching. You know, what's in the cyclical, it's a, it's a high level of a, of a teaching document from a right, Pope. Right. And that's not the only <laughs> format it takes. The USCCB has promulgated social teaching. Right. But in any case, uh, as that has developed and, uh, nerds like me or you yep. have reflected on what the popes have taught us or what the bishops have taught us, we have started to discern that, look, these are the four pillars or the four foundational elements that hold all of this together and give it a sort of internal intellectual coherence. So this would be a sort of a, uh, does, does the church herself, does the magisterium um, lay these principles out or is it sort of the, a common theological analysis made by folks like yourself who are experts in this area? Uh, both. Both. Okay. Both. There's not like a document saying these are the four principles, but the topic or the principle of the dignity of the human person or the topic or principle of the common good is present throughout the, the social teaching uh, tradition in explicit ways, gotcha. in explicit ways. Okay. So why don't we start with dignity of the human person? Sure. What do you want to know, Chris? <laughs> what, what does that mean? I, okay, so here's because they, well, duh, this is the easiest one to understand. Let's move on to uh-huh. privacy, the common uh-huh. good. Yeah, right, uh, right. I think there's more going on than people realize. Sure. Well, I think it's it's an interesting place to begin because you're right. On the one hand, it seems obvious. We kind of have a special uh, love for our own species. Mm-hmm. So suggesting that the human person possesses a unique dignity among all the animals seems fairly straightforward. I don't, I, I, sorry. Uh, if I'm driving my car and I cannot swerve and I run over a squirrel, I'm not super happy about it. I hope not, but neither am I, is my life destroyed. Right. But I will wreck my car in order to swerve 
to avoid hitting a child in the street. I'll Amen. destroy my car. Right. And so we have that kind of like gut level recognition of our fellow humans as deserving of some sort of special treatment, possessing some sort of nobility or, or mm -hmm. dignity that uh, the squirrels, though they are loved by God and, you know, exist for his glory, simply do not seem to possess to us. Um, so this would be trickier if there were like dolphins in the street. Uh, I might, I'd, <laughs> wow. I'd wreck a car to avoid hitting a dolphin. So there's a hierarchy of the animals. They can't really be in the street though. Yeah, that's like, true. If they're in the street, true. they're dead already. Yes, probably, yes, it's so. true. Well, if it was flopping around or something, and, <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't just run over it. Okay. Uh, anyway, uh, well, that's a silly example, but, but we feel right, similarly right. about dogs. Right. That's an important qualification. Uh, there's a hierarchy among the animals and we believe that we are at the pinnacle of that hierarchy. Right. That's a fairly constant feature of human th or of, of thought in the, in the church's tradition. It's sometimes contested today because humans have had so many violent and negative right. effects on creation. Right. There's a trend in some, it's probably only in academic yeah. circles, but there's a trend in some, some uh, academic some conversations, envir some environmental circles, you know, speciesism, right. Um, a concern that we, our belief in our elevated uh, status has created too many problems. But what this principle means though, is that the, the human person, the church would say is the, is the pinnacle of visible material creation. Um, and secondly, that each person has a fundamental um, innate dignity. Right. So the source of this is in Genesis when we, when we read that the human person is created in the image of God. And that's usually what Christians rely on in terms of justifying the, the idea that we're at the pinnacle of okay. creation. Okay. Right. We could spend a lot more time, but sure. I'm going to move on. So primacy of the common good. I think this one would be a little bit trickier for people to even to like, okay, what does that really even mean? So um, <clears throat> the phrase common good uh, is it ref refers to a good that's held in common, mm -hmm. but there are uh, at least two different general types of common goods, divisible and indivisible goods. And so uh, we're both drinking coffee, I think. Yes, we are. You got Mountain Dew? No, no. Coffee. No, it's coffee. <laughs> it's, it's and a, it, yeah. this is a definitely a d divisible good. If, if I drink the coffee, then you can't have it. And if you drink right. the coffee, I can't have it. So that's what divisible means. That's, like, yeah, yeah, we have to divide it up okay. to have it. And so we buy and sell coffee, but there are indivisible goods as well in human life that can't be split up like that. Um, the clearest and I think most important example of this is a marriage. Uh, when God forbid a person gets divorced, you can't possess 50% of the marriage afterward. It's huh. just over. Right. You have to actually kill it. Right. It's a living thing that's indivisible. Um, the same would go for like wins in a baseball game. We don't, award i mean you get the mvp trophy but there's not there's no such thing as you got 75 percent of that win we right. don't think of it that way <laughs> right or an orchestra performance these are coordinated goods that can only be held in common mm -hmm. those are concrete plain examples marriage wins orchestra performances there's others obviously but then in social teaching we refer to uh the common good as like a constellation of those types of relationships and goods that uh, humans need in order to flourish. So right. we could think in terms of education, justice, sure, like legal systems. Yep. 
um, efficient, like public utility distribution, things like this, where the more we give to them, like a marriage, the more we give to them, the more we get from them. Right. There's no such thing as like a divisible education system. If I'm educated well in South Dakota, that doesn't mean that someone in Florida has to be educated poorly. Right. Right. So it's indivisible. So, so that's what the common good is, kind, but there's a primacy to it as opposed to a primacy of what? Uh, my individual success, okay. my, my acquiring everything that I want in order for me to achieve my own plans or something like so that. So maybe this is something that we'll unpack more when we do part two uh, in a few weeks, because I think this is, this is probably one where we as Americans and our strong mm. emphasis on individuality, mm. um, we struggle not only comes like practically, but also conceptually with wrapping our sure. minds around that. Sure. It almost, if you don't speak precisely about the common good, we, Americans get worried that you're just becoming a collectivist or something. Right, right. Like Communism. Right, right. right. Okay. Sure, sure. To be sure. continued with that one. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to Ignition. This is a broadcast of the New Evangelization. I'm Dr. Chris Bergwald, visiting today with Dr. Jason Heron about Catholic social teaching. Today, we're talking about what it is, uh, and we're looking at four key principles. The first was the dignity of the human person. Second, we just discussed the primacy of the common good. And solidarity is the third one, Jason. Another one that makes Americans nervous. Yes, <laughs> Uh, solidarity, but we've already spoken about solidarity. Uh, St. John Paul II speaks of it in two ways. First, as just a fact, a social fact or a social reality. We are intimately related to and intricately related with everybody else. You exist, every person exists in a network of relationships. And so solidarity or relationship among people is a fact. Uh, that deserves attention. We should pay attention to it and recognize and be grateful for the way that other people make our lives possible. Right. Uh, and that's kind of a segue or a transition to the second way that John Paul speaks about solidarity, which is as a moral virtue, which would be underneath or annexed to the vir virtue of justice. So not only is solidarity or interdependence is another, like a synonym for solidarity. Interdependence is a social fact, but it's also a moral virtue. So you can actually get better at being interdependent. Right. You can cultivate solidarity. You can not only feel like as a moral like sentiment, not only feel it, but get better at doing it, fostering bonds of, of interconnection. So it is something that's there. It's a given. It's a fact, as you said, but it's also a virtue. Therefore, an act that I can do more and more well. Right. More better. More, more, more better. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Like, like all aspects of human life, we are the animal that has a given biological and social life, just like tigers and dolphins and whatever, but every, every other mammal, but the human animal can get better at, gotcha. better at it. And of course, dramatically worse at it. Right. Right. You okay. see that. Okay. So that's solidarity. Finally, the fourth key principle, foundational principle of Catholic social teaching, subsidiarity. Subsidiarity. This is an important one uh, in the American context for American Catholics because we have a caricature of solidarity or a subsidiarity, sorry, subsidiarity in American Catholicism, which kind of treats it as though it's like a justification for libertarianism in politics. Uh, sure. Just the lowest level, the smallest local level needs to take care of their problems and higher levels of government or authority ought to keep their hands off. Okay. That's a common misunderstanding of, of subsidiarity. Subsidiarity, in fact, refers to the, to the 
structure of social reality, there are levels of society, starting with like the marital unit, then the family, the neighborhood, the city, all the civic organizations and your bowling league and everything right. on up to your state government, regional authorities, and then national government and even the United Nations are right. a global authority. Uh, uh, <laughs> so another, there it is. Right, right, right. You knew it. You knew it. Um, so there, there are these hierarchy of authorities and they can be well-ordered. And when they are, we refer to the structure as a subsidiary structure. That means that every level in the hierarchy is doing what it's supposed to do. Right. The government, the national government is not telling me like when to put my pants on. Right. Right. They're not interfering with my, and I, neither am I, uh, stockpiling weapons to right. defend Yankton. Right. Uh, I don't have, right. You know, Sioux Falls is like, coming. right. Vigilante, you know, justice. Right. So I am the Batman. Right. right. <laughs> so I'm, I'm, I'm very grateful for, for this hierarchy. You know, I'm glad that I don't have to maintain the road in my street. Right. The city does. And I'm glad my city doesn't have to take a part of I-29 yep. and maintain that. I'm yep. glad the state does the, or the federal government yeah. does that. So, these these um, relationships can get complicated. Like we're homeschoolers uh, in my family, and there are states where it's very difficult to homeschool, right? Because the state government feels that a, a family can't do that properly or well, meet the meet the the outcomes. And I I would say that would uh, take the authority from the family that's properly belonging to the family and take it away from the family and give it to someone else. Uh, now, that's not to say that you can't be engaged in public education, of course, but you're you're giving your authority over to somebody else in the hierarchy right. to do the job that you are capable of doing. That happens all the time. I'm capable of fixing my street. I mean, it wouldn't go very well, but <laughs> I'm, I'm capable, but I, I'm happy to give that authority away. Right. So subsidiarity refers to the the proper or the healthy that's uh, that's often the sense you get in, when reading the popes. The healthy uh, coordination of different levels of the hierarchy of society. Okay, okay. Um, we've got about a minute left, Jason. I think to maybe sort of summarize this and maybe tease or anticipate part two, which is to come. Who cares? <laughs> uh. I don't know. That's the great, that's the great social and political question of our day. Who cares? Uh, it doesn't seem to make a difference. Um, I think that Catholics have a role to play in, in social and political structures. Um, and Catholic social teaching provides uh, a clear description, a clear explication of our commitments okay. as, as Christians, as followers of Jesus in those domains, social, political, economic domains. It's inconceivable that Catholics could detach themselves from society, politics, or right. economics, although there are people flirting with that idea. Okay. That's little... We're not going to do that. Right. Detach. So these are the implications. Okay. 
To be continued. Sure. Thanks for being here, Jason. Thanks for having me. And that will wrap up this episode of Ignition. Again, you can email us ignition at sfcatholic.org with any thoughts, questions, or ideas for future episodes. And until next time, dear, dear listeners, may Almighty God bless you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. <laughs>